is a new stand. Not sure how to use it. Well, seem crooked to you? Oh well. You notice this thing here? Some of you just noticed it now, didn't you? Oh man. Some heavy lifting going on over there. Now how many math wizards can tell me what the parts of this thing are? What's this? Okay, there we go. He means the full name. I just called it a lever, Bob. What's this? There we go. And that down there? It's a big piece of metal from Brennan Pryor. <laughs> Brennan and Caden put this together. Today we're talking levers. And I remember my first experience uh, understanding how, how levers work. Or the first one I remember, that is. Um, I was raised on a farm. You guys know that. I think this next picture demonstrates that fully. Let me go to the next slide. No, you have to go way back. That's way far into my uh, slideshow there, Jack. Just take the, take the mouse at the bottom and just drag it right to the start. There we go. Excellent. Now I'll go to the next slide. Thanks. Proof. Oh, I thought you were saying that I was cute, Cindy. You're right. I'm holding cats. So that was kind of a bit of a gift, you know, like you're going to get an awe from that, right? Oh, there we go. Anyway, there's me on the farm. Uh, my first experience with leverage came once I was picking rocks. Actually, when I was reflecting on this story, I was trying to think of all the facts here. and I doubt if I was actually picking rocks with the neighbor boys because I just can't imagine myself doing that. But I was nearby. And the, these boys from, from uh, the mile over were, were picking rocks. We all were picking rocks in those days. And um, they had this little trailer behind a little tractor, and uh, they were near the border of our property, and I must have gone over there to talk to them. They were my heroes at the time. I was probably 10 or 11. They were like 15, 16, right? And they were picking rocks, and, and they had come across this massive rock that the frost had brought up or whatever. This was northern Alberta. The frost kept bringing things up. Um, anyway, so uh, there's this huge rock. They finally dug around it, and they got it so that they could sort of shift it around but it was impossible for them to lift this thing. They could not, and they strained and strained. There's three brothers, and uh, all years older than me, and they're straining away and sweating and trying to get this rock up onto the trailer. And the trailer was probably, you know, a couple feet high. And they couldn't do it. Like, there was nothing, and, and they worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And they were just getting to the point where they decided, oh, forget it, we'll go back home and get the, another tractor that has a loader on it or something. When... In the only stroke of genius to hit me in my preteen years. Actually, it was probably the only stroke of genius ever to hit me. I looked at these guys and I said, Hey, what if you unattached the hitch and tilted the trailer up and then we kind of rolled the rock onto the back, just onto the lip of it, and then we pushed the hitch down and, 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 and got the rock on the rest of the way. These boys looked at me like I, I don't know, like I'd come out of nowhere. And, uh, and then they kind of looked back at each other, and they laughed a little bit. And then within minutes, this thing was loaded. It was my first experience with the power of leverage. And also, you know, a little boy kind of feeling like he'd impressed his heroes. Anyway, that was leverage. Levers are amazing, aren't they? Because if, 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 the, if, the, you know, if the lever's long enough, and the fulcrum is, is properly placed, you can lift immense loads, right? 
kind of like like that guy right there. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> it was. It was Archimedes who, who, who gave the, the classic quote, the quote that everyone remembers, right? What did he say? Give me a lever long enough and a, and a, and a, and a fulcrum, a properly placed fulcrum, and I could what? I could move the world, he said. I could move the world. No matter what the load, no matter how significant the challenge, no matter how immense the task, given the right lever and that properly placed fulcrum, and anything shift. Well, today we stand on the cusp of a new year, and so I want to ask you, here we are at the end of 2014, ready to launch into 2015, what is it that you wish would shift in your life? What is it that you wish could change? Something that needs to move you You've been wrestling with it for a long time. You've been, you've, been, you've been trying to lift it, you know, and it's not been moving. What is it? Is it an attitude that you've been wrestling with? Is it, is it anger? Is it, is it a deep cynicism where everything you look at, even the idea of looking ahead into 2015 with any sense of resolution, just strikes you with deep cynicism? Right? You don't have to admit it in this public place, but I know, some of you, whether it's, a marriage relationship that you feel like, you know, I wish my marriage could be better. Or, or maybe it's a lifestyle change. Or maybe it's, it's, it's areas in your life you, you'd love to see improve as you, as you consider, um, you know, family life or, or work life or things like that. What is it in your life that you would like to see shift this year? I think it's an important question. Because as you ask that question, as you ask the question, what do I want to see shift, you begin to imagine, well, what would my life be like if it did shift? Like, how would I feel if I actually had a better relationship with my son? Or how would I actually feel if I, if, if, if I was able to, to, to do this thing or, or have a different attitude or, or even break a habit that I've been trying to break? How much different would my life be? That's a powerful question. What would you like to see shifted in your life. I think New Year's uh, time offers a unique time for us to ask those resolution questions. And I know that some of us, even if it's not cynicism, some of us get so discouraged because we think, well, I've made resolutions before and I barely touched any of them. I didn't even think about them about two weeks in. You know, worst time to go to the gym, right? January 1st. The first two weeks of January, gym's just full. But after that, it tapers off. Lots of space in there afterwards, right? Let me ask you, why do most of our resolutions fail? We, we want things to happen. We want things to change. We, we want our attitudes to be different. We want our behavior to be different. We, we'd like to have a, a, a life that makes more sense, but those resolutions often fail. Why do our good intentions often just remain just good intentions? I think, there might be lots of reasons, but... I think one of the reasons is that we lack the strategic lever to shift the load. And though we want the load to shift, we often haven't thought about or figured out, well, what is it going to take to make that happen? 
Like, what kind of fulcrum needs to be placed in my life? What kind of lever do I need to use in order to shift that load that, let's be honest, is just too big for me to shift on my own? So today I want to offer an encouragement, I hope, a challenge to leverage for life change in 2015. To leverage for it. And that's what I want to focus on today. And like Archimedes said, it's really all about the length of the lever and the placement of the fulcrum if you want to see a load shift. So let's work with this image today, okay? We're going to work with the image of our fulcrum being God's Word. And the lever being the ways that we engage God's Word, the practices we have, things we do in order that we, you know, see, hear, know, experience God speaking into our lives through the Bible. And then the load at that end represents the life change. The change in the heart, the change in our mind, the change in our practices that we like to see happen as we leverage on the fulcrum of God's Word. So let's start with the fulcrum first, the Bible itself. We're going to look at just a classic, simple piece of Scripture from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it, but it will be on the screen. This is what the Apostle Paul, he was one of the greatest church planters in the Bible. He also wrote a lot of the New Testament. This is what he said about Scripture. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture. And he's referring to the Old Testament. We take it and understand that he, ultimately it refers to all, Old and New Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's the the idea of God breathing this book. Inspired. You hear the spire in there? That God breathed out this book. And it's one of the reasons why we take the Bible so seriously. We, we believe that God breathed this book out and that everyone who takes this book seriously, everyone who takes in the Bible, who, who reads it, who immerses themselves in it, who strives to understand it, because God breathed it, it breathes life into us. We're taking in God's breathed word and it makes a real difference in our lives this sits behind everything that we believe about the bible it's it's beauty it's usefulness it's importance we hold all those things because we believe that this is the book that god inspired and it's why it comes first in our lives and first in our decisions first in our way of thinking and our way of living so all scripture inspired of god and what's the bible for is it to make us smarter it might make you smarter, but it's not its primary purpose. Is it to make you better than other people? Is it to give you power so you can be a little more judgmental? No, that is not what the Bible's for. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's, listen to this, useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I want you to notice how the Bible makes God's will, God's desire for us, very personal. Very personal. First, this God-breathed book teaches us what is true. It clears away what's false. It, it orients our thinking and our living about knowing who God truly is and I believe directly relates to that who we truly are, our identity as people. And as a result of knowing who God is and who we are, 
then it shapes everything that we do, every way that we interact, every way that we imagine how we're supposed to live and, 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 and move and, and interact in life. The Bible shows us kind of what's up and what's down. You know, we're surrounded by a lot of different voices, a lot of different um, stories that tell us what's true, right? Or are trying to tell us what's true. It comes at us every day. We have um, a lot of different stories, whether it's family stories, uh, stories from our own history, uh, stories of our own you know, mistakes in our own lives. Uh, we, we have images and stories coming to us from advertising, from political parties, from, from just run-of-the-mill conversations. People or organizations or, or cultures trying to tell you who you are. And the only way we can discern what's true and what's false is when we're grounded in God's word about us because he's the one who made us and he's the one who knows who we are. And so it's as we take in God's word that we're able to discern what is really true and what is really false. We're able to look at that, you know, that picture about pure, true beauty or the image that every woman should look like and say, that's a lie. That's not true. We're able to hear someone say, hey, you know, we're supposed to just eat, sleep, work, and then die. And say, hmm, that's not true. We're not created for that. We're able to identify and, and discern all the different images, all the different stories that we're told that try to define who we are, and we can measure it against what the Bible teaches us about who we are. God's Word teaches us what is true, and it shows us what's false. And, you know, this isn't something that's just sort of theoretical. It's not just about, it certainly shapes our minds and our thinking, but it's something that really affects the way that we live. It's ultra-personal, as I've already said, because the Bible helps us realize what is wrong in our lives. See how it begins with me? It begins right here in my heart and life. It would be easy to read the Bible and begin to simply see what's wrong in everyone else's life. Right? And in fact, sometimes Christians have got a bad reputation because of exactly that. They read the Bible, and instead of asking first, how is this showing me what's wrong in my life, and my heart, they look around and begin to identify people, cultures, uh, incidences, neighbors, and say, ah, this helps me understand what's wrong with her, or what's wrong with him, or what's wrong with that family. And so Christians have often been known as judgmental people because of that kind of behavior. But what we see is the Bible teaches us what's wrong in our lives. It shows me where the Holy Spirit needs to do deep surgery in my heart. Because that's where God's word starts its work, in us. And it humbles us. And and God is full of grace, but there's something revealing about it, where we say, oh, okay, now I understand. And you know how that connects to the question of what do you want to see shift in your life? You know, what do you want to see change in your life? What attitude, what habit, what way of thinking or way of interacting needs to change in your life? Well, one of the critical ways that the Bible will help with that is by revealing what it is in your heart 
and in your life that's wrong. And not in a smackdown, awful, shaming kind of way, but in that kind of revelation way where you, you realize, oh, I get it. Now I understand what's been holding me back from the life that God is wanting me to live. The, the freedom and the, and the goodness and the experience of, of life that I've been actually longing for. Now I can see how I've been tripping myself up or how I've been, I've been not allowing God to work. Because God is showing me through his word ways that there are things wrong with me. Sin that needs to be dealt with. Uh, attitudes that need to be repented of. Cynicism that needs to go. Whatever it is. God's word starts with us. And, and, and as this verse goes on, we see that God is so committed to our growth, so committed to your transformation, that he gave us his word to be part of our ongoing guidance, our ongoing change. Because the verse, it kind of reads similar to the first part, but it says that the Bible corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And there's a sense in this, there's an activeness that as we drink in God's word, as we walk in the, the, the paths of God's word, as we let God's word shape us, it's like as we're moving and as we're interacting and as we're you know, talking to people at work or as we're speaking to our children or as we're thinking something about someone else, that as we take in God's word, there'll be times when you know, something happens or something's said or something flips through my mind. And because I've been taking in God's word, it's like God's, God's word enables me to say, oh, I get it. That wasn't right. When I looked at that person and, and judged them, that was wrong. And, and because God's word corrects me when, I, when we're wrong, I'm able to at that point say, oh, God, help me with that. I'm sorry about that. I want to see that person with judgment or with disdain. I want to see them with love and with kindness and with grace, the kind of grace that you show me. So the Bible corrects us when we're wrong as we're following his word in our lives, and it teaches us to do what's right. It's not just about correcting us and stopping us from doing that thing that's hurtful, but it also says, here's how you love. Here's how you serve. Here's how you come alongside people that are frustrating. Here's how you pray for someone that you've been so uh, discouraged by. The Bible teaches us to do what is right. It's active in our transformation. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to show us when we're wrong and to teach us to do what's right. That's that's the fulcrum. That's, That's God's word in our lives. It's practical. It's central. And when it's placed right, loads shift. Lives change. And what's the point of it all? Paul, Paul wraps it up like this. He says, God uses it, God's, God's word, God's scripture. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, the change that God is making in your life and in my life isn't just so that you can be a better person. Isn't just so you can experience freedom in life. That's absolutely true and God wants that for you. But do you see how the change that God is making in your life goes beyond yourself? That God has a good work for you to do, for us to do, 
That God wants us to be the kind of people that are revealing His love to others in the way that we interact, in the way that we raise our kids, and in the way that we treat one another, talk about one another, the way that we interact even in a broader, on, a, on a broader level as we talk about you know, other people, other organizations, other churches, other ethnicities. God is doing a work in us so that we become the people who are doing His good work of showing life and love and freedom to the people that we interact with. That's the purpose of the life change that God is working in your life and in my life is so that we can get in on that good work that God is doing. God has called us into this good work business. But He's got to do some work in my life. And He's got to be in an, I've got to be in an ongoing relationship with Him and having God's Word permeate my life so that I don't get off the track, so that I can really be about that stuff. As I let Him work in my life, He works through me in the lives of others. But I want us to get practical. That's the fulcrum. That's, that's the focus on God's Word. But Because most of us would say, we believe God's Word is important. Or at least... As, if you're a Jesus follower today and, and you're here and you, I, you know, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, most people would say, I believe the Bible's important. Um, most would say, uh, even things like, I know I need to read the Bible more, or I know I need to engage it more. The reality is, most of us don't. And I don't say that as no kind of guilt. I know what it's like to struggle with just finding the time or reminding myself of the time to just do simple Bible reading. I get it. So there's no guilt here at all. No shame at all. But the reality is we have to talk practically. We need to have some kind of a plan or to use the metaphor, we need to talk about the lever. We've got to talk about this thing that enables us to lift the load. Because until we talk about this, um, we, can, we can talk about the load wanting to shift and we can even talk about the importance of God's word in our lives, but very little will change until we talk about the ways that we engage God's word. So uh, I'd like to talk about that. Um, there's a, a Bible engagement study that came out uh, last year looking at Canadians and the way that Canadians in general and then Canadian Christians in particular view and engage in the Bible. And I, I'm not going to read through this, but you can find it online. Uh, but if you just Google Bible engagement, Canadian Bible engagement study, you can find it. But only one in seven Canadian Christians, it's about 14%, read the Bible at least once a week. Pretty small number. Again, not, not to feel guilty, because let's be honest, some of us, we, we just have to identify with that question you want to ask is, how can we change that? How can we move that? Only one in four Christians strongly agree that the Bible is relevant to their lives. When we think about the life change that we want to make, we first have to even believe that the Bible is important to that life change, significant to that. Only one in ten Canadians, two in ten Christians, reflect on the meaning of of the Bible in their lives at least a few Times a week, so uh, that would be you know twenty percent of Christians would would have some time weekly, at least a few times a week, to reflect on the relevance or the significance of, of God's word in their lives. So, talking about practices, talking about whoops, talking about how we're going to do that is is really important. 
Because until we admit that we need help in that, uh, we may express a lot of good intentions about God's Word in our lives, but we may not experience any change in our lives. So what I want to do today uh, briefly is just highlight five practices that can sort of fit on the, on, on the lever here. Five practices that will help you and I engage God's Word more and see life change come. Now, these practices are not new at all. And I know that some of us will even hear them and think, well, I know that. That's right. We do. It's just kind of like eating right and going, you know, exercising more. We all kind of know it. It's a question of, are we going to be able to do it? Are we going to be able to place it in our lives? But first, let's talk about some of the practices that I believe will leverage life change. They've stood the test of time. This is for beginners. This is for mature Christians. These people have been doing this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, as they've engaged uh, the Bible. The first one is very simple. It's reading the Bible regularly. 